0: Good morning, and thank you for tuning in and listening to this week's message of hope on KBR News Radio 99.3 FM and 1490 AM from First Christian Church of Burlington, Iowa. We hope that this week's message helps you grow in your faith and share God's love. This week, our associate pastor Will Ryan continues our Blueprint Sermon Series, sketching out an unexpected life with scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 in verses 17 through 27, titled, God Saves. Stay tuned after the message for music and to learn more about First Christian Church of Burlington.
1: O oh God, our helper in times of distress and our hope in moments of despair, Hear us now when we cry to you and restore us to life. Our losses have overwhelmed us. Suffering plunges us to the depths. We worry about what yet is to be. At the same time, we take days of good health for granted. Our prosperity diverts attention away from your purposes. Through it all, your steadfast love never ceases, and your mercies are new each morning you have compassion for us whatever our state of mind you love us when we cannot love ourselves you are faithful to us through our nights of weeping and through our days of joy holy one we will exalt your name and sing your praises our souls seek after you and delight in knowing you we will dance in your presence and give thanks for your favor you heal sustain and make everything new. We seek to respond with the best we can give, to grow in faith, to forgive as we have been forgiven, that your rule may prevail among us. Send your spirit once again so our lives may be a faithful witness to your gospel, your good news in Jesus Christ. Save your people, loving God, from the scourge of war. May the weapons of slaughter and destruction be transformed into instruments of peace. Teach us to resolve our differences in ways that build up rather than destroy. Inspire us to share the abundance we have known. Unite all your people in recognition of our sin and our need for an abundant mercy and grace only you can give. Let us give thanks for the mercy we find in Christ Jesus. The one who taught us to pray together by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're continuing our Blueprints sermon series this week. We have been taking a look at the ways God works behind the scenes, making our lives ordered, and maybe giving us some structure and architecture. We've been following the story of Samuel and David in the Old Testament, helping us understand the way God works behind the scenes. And so we continue that scripture this day. We're going to read from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, the first verse, and then pick up verses 17 through 27. Here begins the reading. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, the daughters of the uncircumcised Will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death. They were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O oh, daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd like to start by going through an exercise. If you would humor me for a moment, go ahead and close your eyes. I promise I won't do anything. I'm too far away. But go ahead and close your eyes. I want you to envision the one person you are closest to, your best friend the one who knew your deepest and darkest feelings, the one who could tell when you were struggling just by noting your voice inflection, the one who was constantly there when you needed someone to talk to, the one who drove you to do further and greater things, who helped form you into the person you are. Do you have that person in mind? I see some heads nodding so good. Now imagine you're at the funeral for that person who died tragically and suddenly, and you are called upon to give the eulogy. You're tasked with describing this person and the impact they made upon your life. Think you can do it? Go ahead and open your eyes. No matter how eloquent you are, no matter how good of a public speaker you are, no matter matter how good at sight-reading you are, I do believe all of us would struggle in that moment. Struggle to find the words, struggle to deal with the overwhelming emotions, struggle to make sense of what's going on for all intents and purposes. The pain and consternation you imagine, and maybe some of us have gone through before, is exactly where we find David in today's scripture. In the intermediary scriptures, intermediary scriptures between last week's story of David and Goliath, David defeating the giant Goliath, and this funeral dirge sung by David, a whole lot happens. We skipped a whole lot. First, David becomes part of the court of Saul. Saul sees that David's pretty good with the slingshot, so he invites him to be part of his inner circle. David basically becomes Saul's right-hand man, doing the things he asks. But then things go south quickly. Israel had two kings for a number of years, David anointed by God as a boy, and Saul also king. But they were clearly headed in two divergent paths. Saul, the rejected king, had watched his kingdom, his family, and his mental health deteriorate year after year in a downward spiral. And at the same time, David, the king-in-waiting, ascended, so we have one falling and one ascending. David gained strength and followers, even as he constantly had to flee Saul's murderous rage. What's more, the two kings are forever entwined through the person of Jonathan, Saul's son, his warrior son, and David's greatest friend, his best friend. They had an unthinkable bromance, even better than Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You could not separate these two. But war got in the way. When we catch up to David now in today's Scripture. he's in the deep, dark valley of grief for his best friend and his former mentor who died in battle. When David hears about this, he flees into abhorrent rage, taking his pain out on the messenger by having him executed for his participation in Saul's death. But then David did something unexpected. Instead of gloating in what seems to be wonderful news for David, because there's no one there to stop him from being king, he sings. He extols this community to learn his song. He sings a sad and morose funeral song, the type that comes from pain, that comes from sorrow. The scripture tells us he wanted all of the people of his country, to learn this ballad. Not just those around him, not just those in his circle, not just those who knew Saul best or those in the court of the king. He wanted everybody to join him in singing. I wonder when's the last time we did this as a society? When's the last time we joined together in mourning? I asked this at the Bible studies that I led this week, and I really only got one response. The terrorist attacks on September 11th of 2001. That's the last time we as a community put aside our divisions, put aside our arguments, put aside our pettiness and felt a collective melancholy descend as we felt the gravity of the situation. Though it's coming up on 17 years and our incoming seniors were born that year, I wonder if that's how David and his community felt at the death of Saul. And because of this... Because of this grief and this death, David is able to move past the old slights and grudges he might have had towards Saul. Instead of focusing on the things that drove a wedge in between their relationship, he brought a particular type of grace when composing his song. It reminds me a bit how obituaries are. It seems for like the most part, obituaries are a place of brevity in an otherwise dark time for friends and family. Like David, most obituaries are times when the writer reflects upon the moments in the dead one's highs, their highlights, their peaks. Rough edges are hewn, Abrasive moments are sanded down. Disputes are bedded down. Grace enters in and past sights are forgotten. Forgiveness might not reign, but at least it's hinted at. That's why it's so jarring when we read an obituary which flies in the face of this collective norm. I've seen a few in my short day, but one caused quite a stir on the internet a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, so I thought I would share it with you. Maybe you saw it. Here's what it said, and I quote, Kathleen Demwau schunk was born March 19, 1938, to Joseph and Gertrude Schunk of Wabasso, Minnesota. She married Dennis Demlau at St. Anne's in Wabash in 1957 and had two children, Gina and Jay. In 1962, she became pregnant by her husband's brother, Lyle Demlau, and moved to California. She abandoned her children, Gina and Jay, who were then raised by her parents in Clements, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Schunk. She passed away on May 31st, 2018, in Springfield and will now face judgment. She will not be missed by Gina and Jay, and they understand that this world is a better place without her. Whew. I think I'm going to instruct whoever uh, writes mine not to use this one as an example. Why is this so surprising? Why do we shudder a little bit when hearing or reading something like this? We're used to flowery and glowing language. We're used to the sort of sentiment of don't speak ill of the dead. We're used to a sort of reverence that comes before. Maybe on our best days, it's because we're able to look past their faults. In our worst days, it's we don't want people to look behind our closets and see our skeletons. There are some touchstones here with what David did, but there is a significant difference. David's song shows us that words matter. The words he chooses expresses the fullness of the grief he has and the sorrow he is feeling. Our culture tends to hollow that grief. We move quickly with the platitudes, hoping to provide some sort of comfort, saying she's in a better place or God needed an angel, or he just has a new address. We are afraid of the finality and in turn don't provide the space for the grieving. Our society prefers silence to all serious speech, gloss over genuine loss, and even deny all real grief. Yet when our talk about death and loss is shrunk to either silence or cliches, we diminish life itself. David, by contrast, is willing to talk honestly about life's limits and violence's cause. He sort of threads the needle between an ordinary obituary and that one that, I feel bad for that. David shows an inordinate amount of grace while not whitewashing the effects of death. He's able to stand in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, stuck between the mountains of despair and grief, brought upon by the death of his former mentor and his best friend. And he sings loudly and strongly the real emotions he's having. He does not deny what is going on. He does not move on prematurely. He is not all right, and he is okay with showing that and calling everybody to that, expressing it fully. He doesn't stuff it down and tell everyone he's fine. Because he isn't, and that's okay. He's in a dark place and knows that's exactly where he needs to be because as the psalm he wrote says, even there in the valley, God is with him. Even in the darkness, God is with you. Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite authors and the one who has voted as one of the ten most effective preachers Alive Today, once wrote in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, that if it happened in a cave, it happened in complete silence, in absolute darkness, with the smell of damp stone and dug earth into the air. Sitting deep in the heart of Oregon Cave, I let this sink in. New life starts in the dark. Whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it all starts in the dark. This is countercultural. We don't like to go to dark places. Indeed, I dare say most of us are afraid of the dark because we are afraid what lurks there. I know I am afraid when I wake up in darkness. When we are in the deep, dark valley, it can feel suffocating. The imposing mountains tower over us, threatening to close us in. And we can get lost there, lost enough to think that there is no light at all. But we're not lost, because we have a shepherd, one who has already trod the path of darkness, one who wept at the loss of one of his best friends, Lazarus, one who met people where they were, even when... They were forced to walk in the shadows for their own safety. One who was alone in the darkest part of the night. One who, when hanging on a cross for the sins of the world, the entire land became dark. Our Savior embodied David's words of how the mighty have fallen. For fall he did. He fell all the way into a deep, dark tomb, sealed shut with no light in. Of course, the story doesn't end there. It didn't end for David or Jesus, and it doesn't end for us. This is what matters, that God holds us in our grief and saves us even here. God is at work redeeming human suffering, and saving us by this grief, by being with us right there in the darkness. Jesus knew where you go. God sits with us until our eyes adjust and we can see that not all is lost, that there is a little bit of light, just enough light, just enough that we can, like David did, join God in singing about that little, little light. And I think you know this song. I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to ask you to join me in singing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message of hope from First Christian Church Disciples of Christ here in Burlington, Iowa. We are located at 1221 Park Avenue on the south side of town in between the airport and Dankwort Park. If you're looking for a new church home or searching for something beyond yourself, we hope you will join us for worship this Sunday morning. We offer two styles of worship each Sunday. Our traditional service is at 8.45 a.m. featuring beloved hymns of the faith. Our contemporary service is at 10.45 a.m. and is led by our amazing band. In both services, you'll hear a sermon similar to the one you listened to today on the radio. Be welcomed at the Lord's table for communion and join with us in prayer and praise. During the summer, Children's Church is offered at our 1045 service. There's no better way to begin our week in worship, so we hope you will join us here at First Christian
0: Church.